Some say love, it is a podcast about underrated music and movies, bum, bum. Some say love, bum, bum. It is a podcast with hosts Mason McGuire and Noe. Welcome to It's On The List. You're listening (gasps) to... The first official podcast oh, yeah, buddy. of the quarantine era of the United States and the world. Oh, pretty much. Yeah, welcome to <laughs> Quarant 2020, everybody. I can't believe we didn't get a quarantine when it was a teen year. No, yeah. That's how fucked up this whole thing is, is that it's it's not even Quarant 19. But uh, wherever you are in the world, we hope you're safe uh, from everybody here. And it's on the list. Thank you yeah. so much for tuning in. Um yeah, I mean, we pretty much spoke about the elephant in the room right away. Like, I haven't left the house in two days, you know. Are you, Mason, you're doing okay, though? Yeah, I'm luckily able to. So, Chicago is not as bad. They did have a handful of cases. But, I, you know, the temp assignment was luckily something I could just bring my laptop back home. Sure. So, Friday and Saturday, I stayed pretty much indoors. I left the house once, I think on Saturday just because I was like, I need to get out of the house and go to Target and just get some new t-shirts so I have an excuse to get out of the house and not buy cleaning supplies. Sure. <laughs> there you go. I, I'm, I'm for that. All right. So, Chef? Yes. We have a special guest today. Yes, we do. You want to say hi, special guest? Hi. Yay! <laughs> oh, yes. Why, why don't you Here introduce yourself? <laughs> uh, sure. I'm Brian Carpus, and I'm an Aries. <laughs> There we go. That's all you need to know. That is all you need to know. Brian is the host of a very fun, very funny movie podcast called The Vintage Millennial. Yes. That I was on. Yes, you were. Go check that episode out. We talked about the 1954 Judy Garland and James Mason, A Star is Born. Yes. Fun, fun, fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brian. I really do appreciate you venturing out of your world to come and do our podcast even in these crazy (laughs) times. So thanks for being here. Oh, oh yeah. Look, we got to live as much as we can in these crazy times. So I'm all... Definitely. I totally know what to do, but at the same time, like, sometimes you just got to meet up with some people and talk about some underrated classics, you know? 100%. Yeah. There you go. And that's like... Amen. Yeah, and this is a great kind of intersection of your podcast and ours, I think. Yes. And you've been wanting to do this podcast, this movie on your own podcast for a little bit. Yes, I do. This movie will, I'm sure, somewhere make it down the line of my podcast. Because if yeah. it's my podcast, we I only discuss movies made after any movie that was made before the 80s. Right. And this movie just hits it because it was made in uh, 79. Just kisses it. So just as a little bit of uh, background for our viewers here, what is it specifically about that era of movie that dri- drives you so much to the point that you did a whole, you're doing a whole podcast about it. What is it about that time period? What is it that you love about the vintage millennial sort of movie? <laughs> it's just for me, that time period, especially the like real golden era of Hollywood between like the silent era to the fifties, I would say is such a magical time period. And all the actors from it seem like they're literally made, they were either made in a factory or plucked from another planet. Like you can't believe someone like Greta Garbo was actually real or, um, sure. James Cagney. I don't think James Cagney was real though, but that's another (laughs) episode. Um, but yeah, there's just such a magic to it. And the whole, um, 
just it's a dreamlike world it's an escapist fantasy like world that is just filled with nothing but decadence and beauty with somewhere under the line real stories that make you think and it's just amazing to see how people had to play around with a time period that was really constricting so that's why I, sure. I, there's so many reasons why i love that era yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us a little taste of that. We'll make sure to link your uh, link your show in the description. So if people like what you have to say, they can go check out your podcast on the whole. So thanks for yeah, being here. Movie. Of course. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to be here. Yeah. So since it is guest choice, guest, you brought on both the album and the movie this week. Yes, I did. And we talked about the movie a little bit, but the reason why this is such a fun episode besides the fact that you're on the podcast, yes. <laughs> is that this these, um, album and movie are very much in tandem with each other. Yes. It's kind of about one big Brian Carpus subject. Yes, 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 yes. These are both things at like a party I would just randomly bring up. Which actually, there. so this gets into how Brian and I know each other. Yeah, you brought this up. So I totally we, forgot this. So we did um, go to Columbia College, Chicago. This the, the, the Columbia. The only Columbia. The Columbia. Uh, the only Columbia. <laughs> And, um, there is, we, like, I was a film student, but all my friends were the comedians. So Mm -hmm. I was hanging out with all, and all my roommates were in the comedy studies major. So there's just comedy people floating in and out. And the very first time that I remember beating Brian Carpus was St. Patrick's Day, roughly, in Chicago. Like, weekend. So it's, like, approximately, like, five years ago, around this time. Exactly, yeah. And you were in my apartment... And um, we were just, like, kind of talking or whatever. And in the poetry class that I had was in at that time, a week before, we had read a Janis Joplin poem. Mm. And you were talking about Janis. And then you recommended me the book that I think her sister wrote, Love Janis. Love Janis. It's a great book. Yeah. Highly recommend it. Her sister wrote it. She did poetry? I didn't realize that Janis was in the poetry scene. Can you talk a little bit about that? No, it was a poet about, it was a poem about Janis Joplin. And if I can remember it by the time that, I can't remember it now, but if I can remember it by the time that I'm doing the show notes, it'll just be in the notes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we had, a Janis Joplin double feature yeah. today. Yeah. So we're usually we start with the album. So you brought on Pearl. Yes, Janis Joplin by Pearl, the nineteen seventy one. Pearl pop. by Janis Joplin. Pearl by Janis Joplin. <laughs> yes, thank you. I'm illiterate. Give me a break. <laughs> um I was born in not in Bread in Texas. Um no, the nineteen seventy one posthumous album, uh Pearl by Janis Joplin. Mm. Um it is my if it's my go to album for almost any situation. Sad, happy, mad. I went through a huge Janis Joplin phase when I was in middle school and high school. Like I wore bracelets like all the way up to like my elbow and rings. Nice. I, I drank oh, Southern wow. Comfort. I still I still drink Southern Comfort still- straight. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. You sound like um, a great grand you sound like my great grandma. <laughs> I mean, I am a great grandma <laughs> with a bottomless liver, apparently. <laughs> But anyway, so Janice is big for you, and you listen. This is like one of your go-to, like just favorite albums. Yeah, if I had to bring an album with me on a desert island, it would be this album. And you do kind of get like just looking at the uh, the album, the track list here. You do kind of get a little bit of everything, Janice wise. You get like I think this album. So I know y'all talk more about underrated albums, and in a way, this album really is not that underrated. But I consider it an underrated album because there are like two, three songs on it that I would consider to be, like, number one hit songs that would be, like, on a compilation album. Sure, yeah. But the album itself, like, there's so many goodies on there that doesn't get brought up or played as much as something like 
me and Bobby McGee and Mercedes Benz right. and Cry Baby. Yeah. You know. No. What's your What's your Janis Joplin story? Do you have a Is there a Janis Joplin story with you, or is it just kind of a what she like? Um, I think <laughs> that it has more to do like with the fact that like when you get into like kind of like you were talking about uh, last week. Uh, mate, I almost called you Mitch. <laughs> it's like your name <laughs> when uh, you were when we were talking about the uh, like the Rolling Stone like lists and all that stuff that you were talking about. This yeah. is one of those albums that shows up on that on that list it's i think in in the revised 2012 version i think it cracks the top 150 Interesting. and i just remember seeing it not really knowing who she was but thinking that she looked pretty cool because she's got pink hair like in the, <laughs> in the album and as like a little kid i was like oh pink hair i gotta check that out so um i think the other thing that like drew me to her was that i remember back in the day when anybody gave a shit about american idol uh somebody did a cover of me and Bobby McGee, uh, and I had never heard that song before, and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is a little interesting, this is a little different, so I looked up the Janice version, obviously, which is a, I didn't realize this, but it's a cover yeah. of a Chris yeah. Christopherson song, me and yeah. Bobby McGee, which I had no idea. Um, I actually didn't realize a lot of the stuff that we think about as Janice songs are covers, more mm-hmm. than yeah. we would actually realize, um, and I thought that that was really interesting, and so I guess my, like, main like knowing of her came from like back in the day when you're like discovering this music but she's really not someone that I like go to very often I think I did have like a period where crybaby was like probably like in my like rotation Mm -hmm. of like 25 Mm -hmm. songs that I would just like keep going through my head and I think maybe Mercedes Benz as well but you know I'm not like a like a like a Joplin head I guess but I do like her like I I think they just sort of sort of get us kicking off on this there isn't really a song on this album that I dislike even the ones that are a little bit more underground like I don't hear people ever talk about the song Half Moon but that's an amazing song yeah. I don't hear ever people talking about the song A Woman Left Lonely and that's an amazing song yeah. and it's you know if you want to talk about this in a context of it being underrated yes most people would know me and Bobby McGee if they're a rock fan yes most people probably know Cry Baby if they're a rock fan but this album doesn't really get talked about I feel like in like the same way that like an Exile on Main Street does or even like a something you know like a like a Patti Smith Horses which is considered yeah. to be like a classic right. you know female rocker album you know and when this album came out commercially it did really well like it was number 1 for a really long time i know that she got i don't know it's of it was really regarded at its time and it then just kind of like faded into where it was like the album where you put it when you're trying to fill a list like a yeah. 150 rock list you yeah. know what i mean and you mentioned this in the in the beginning when we were previewing the album but this is a posthumous release like this came out a year yeah. after she died because she died in 70 she died in 1970 of a heroin overdose yeah and the thing about this album that it's very bittersweet because when she was making this album she was not on heroin yeah she was completely clean and anyone who was around said she was in the best spirits it was the band was part like everything was coming together yeah and then she just kind of took one hit and well, yeah, because I was doing a little bit of reading on Wikipedia about like her death, and she had like the guy that sold her the heroin that day, who was also responsible for like a handful of other overdoses yeah. off the same batch. Mm-hmm. So she just got like incredibly unlucky. Uh, and it is like I think that's why this album like kind of popped when it first came out because like oh, finally some new Janice, some way to like properly mourn her. Yeah, but like. Uh, everybody keeps talking about Bobby McGee and like Mercedes Benz as being like the the two big ones from this kind of album. Um, and I think that 
it this is does count as an underrated one because if just from my perspective when i'd be looking at those lists of like the 100 best albums or whatever i would like be looking at those lists and be like oh that's only because like of those three songs that everybody knows on it that it's on there like they don't take time to ingest the rest of this and i think this is what's so interesting about this is it does like kind of encapsulate all of janice's it does this does this was the album it's what's the thing about this album that i always i always try to think like okay this would have been her entry into the 70s and her as a rock singer of the 70s because this album was the perfect mix of everything she was trying to do it still had 60s rock in it obviously but it was a blues album janice joplin is first and foremost a blues singer like Mm -hmm. let's get that straight yes okay (laughs) that there is nothing like anything else about her but blues she was probably the greatest white blues singer ever i would say not maybe ever the greatest white female blues singer i think we can definitely say that because it is like just to speak to like the quality of Janis Joplin, because we haven't talked about just her yet, mm-hmm. I don't think it's that rawness that you think about. You know? Yeah, it's just it's raw and powerful and emotional, and it yeah, it's what the blues is. But and that album, it's also like pure soul, and it's also a little country too. I know Mercedes Benz is a country song. Yeah, totally. Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Like if Dirk Bentley had a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> No, 100%. I think that the the country influence on this uh, is pretty prevalent because it's not just the content of the voice, but I also think it's her voice is so unique because it's pretty much unreplicable, if that's the word I'm supposed to use. Like, I don't think that like most people or anyone really can replicate it because it had a graveliness to it that you often do find in these you know the tradition of the blues but you also do have this like nice twang to it like you have in tradition of country artists and i think that that is really Mm -hmm. what for me separates her from a patty smith or uh another female you know Mm -hmm. even a pat benatar which i know is a little bit later down the line but like a female rocker she has just a voice that is, you can't match. It is so unique. It's Mm-mm. so her own. And if you're trying to do it, it's kind of like one of those things where you're never going to be able to do Janice. You can only get as close as possible. Like the line just keeps hitting zero. You know what I mean? Or it just is this close to zero. Yeah, totally. And that's why, that's one of the many reasons why I think there has not been an actual biopic about her because. Especially now we've been seeing in biopics, they want the actors to do the actual singing for whatever stupid reason. Um, But no one can, and anytime I see a Janis Joplin project come up, it's always an actor who does sing. Like I remember there was a really long time ago, there was a project that Zoe Deschanel is attached to. Yeah, which, whoa. Okay, a choice. Yeah, it's just... Also, <laughs> none of them ever make sense. Like, Amy Adams was attached to a project once. Like Amy Adams makes more sense than well, Zoe yeah. Deschanel. Yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, like, uh, come on. Well, there was the unofficial Janis Joplin biopic in uh, 30 Rock, the Jackie Jordan. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> synonym's just another word for the one you want to choose. <laughs> and that, yeah, honestly, That's that my... might be the best version we'll ever get, honestly. Of that that. Is... Yeah, right. <laughs> That's honestly the only version we should get. Yeah, the chain. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I to to your point, I think like I was listening to this. I sandwiched the movie today between two listens of this album. Mm-hmm. Actually, technically three. I listened to it twice before watching the movie, then listened to it again driving up to Chicago right. to record the podcast. And this time, 
the second for me personally the second half of the album popped a little more because it was yes. leading more into the kind of country aspects of it which and is like you, like everybody's been saying this is where she was probably about to go was yeah. like getting more comfortable into being like a country star or something. And it's just like the fact that we were robbed of that is so I know. Sad. She was so, because it's interesting because I think, you know, she was such, she was the first female rocker. Not, well, okay, let me take that back. That's not true. She was the first female rocker to ride the same wave of success as Hendrix, as uh, The Doors, yeah, as like, The Grateful Dead. Like there were tons of women before her. Like Tina Turner was on the scene like t- a full ten years yeah, before Jazz. Yes, yes. Odetta, Wanda. I was about to say Wanda, Wanda Sykes. <laughs> Wanda yeah, Sykes. Wanda, Wanda I love a good Wanda Sykes jam album. I love when she, <laughs> she just starts saying shit that I have no fucking idea what she's talking about. I love Wanda. <laughs> Wanda, Wanda Sykes could really twist and shout. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Where it was like. Um, Janice was this kind of, uh, the 60s rock scene in, in particular, like, just, like, she kind of, I think, represented, like, the sort of, the, the liberated flower child. She did, it's, she's woman. such a dichotomy because she represented that, but at the core of herself was more of a, all her friends said that she was more of a beatnik than she was a hippie. Because she started in San Francisco. She started in San Francisco, but she also, like, she really was, like, a reader. She wrote letters home, which was, like, very out of touch with the time. Yeah. Um, like, they made a very... The thing about, like, the book Love Janice is, like, letters from that she wrote to home in it, which are oh, really cool boy. to see. Oh, wow. And read. And it's just, they make a point in the book of, like, no one wrote letters to home. Like, everyone gave up on this, especially yeah. kids. So the fact that she was doing this. And also, everyone said she was more of a drinker than she was anything else. And that was, like, their parents' drug of choice. Yeah. So she, I think, had lived in this two worlds of, like, yeah. she, uh, being a free flower child, a liberated woman of that time period, and also being very kind of, like, way down in Texas roots. And I think what's interesting about that is that you have... Like, literally, this is her second solo album, and she had been passed away mm-hmm. for a year at this point. So we don't even get to see her start to split off from her Texas roots, really. In this album, yeah. you get it a little bit, but you don't really get mm-hmm. to see it. And that's the saddest part, is that we never really got to see what she would become, like, ultimately. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we also, I think we group her in because of what I was saying when she, like she was that strong, hardcore female rocker. Like that's what we got for that time period. So she gets glumped in with the Patti Smiths and the Pat Benatars because they're the real rocker women of that time period. But in reality, she would have been, I think you would probably lump her in more with the folk and country singers of the seventies. I think she would have rode the same wave as like Linda Ronstadt and Bonnie Raitt and... Yeah, um, Joni Mitchell, even to an extent. Yeah, correct like, me if I'm wrong. She was not really a songwriter. Like, did she write any songs? She wrote. She co-wrote Mercedes Benz. That's correct. That's correct. And she wrote. I'm trying to think. Yeah, she was more of like she did a lot of covers. Like, "Peace of My Heart" is a cover of an Irma Franklin song, yeah. which is Aretha Franklin's sister. Um, so, and "Ball and Chain," which was like her biggest. Uh, side note, everyone go look up Janis Joplin's performance on Modern Rain Pop at where she performs Ball and Chain. It is so, one of the greatest live performances you will so ever see. I think, so when I was in fifth grade, I got my, and I had my first iPod color, I was just putting on music that I recognized from like mm-hmm. the radio with my dad. And so there were a couple Janis Joplin songs on it. And I was like going around, my sister was playing softball or something. I was just like going around <laughs> listening to like the music doing whatever. And my sister's friend's mom came up to me. She's like, oh, what do you 
listening to? I'm like, well, I'm listening to Janis Joplin. And she tur- she looks at me and she goes, ask Mr. Because uh, he loves Janis Joplin. He has a video of her on his computer. And I think it's, it's probably, probably that. that. It's She's her- got her hair flying all over yeah. the place and stuff like that. It- it's so that con that festival was like her her and Hendrix like they were the breakout stars of that. She was still with uh, the band she was starred with, Big Brother and the Holding Company, mm. and yeah, she blew. No one knew what to expect, and when she did it, this blue song cover, it, it everyone was flipping out. The best reaction is Cass Elliot from the Mamas and Papas is in the mm-hmm. audience, and her mouth is wide open for like the good last portion like they keep focusing back to her because she is so shooketh <sighs> that's awesome so check out monterey pop festival yes so check that is out, it fair but... to say mason that you just don't really give a shit about your sister because you weren't watching her game you were just listening to your music is that fair to say <laughs> <laughs> um i think that the uh i think that uh janice is one of those people that like you said it she's she's you know her immediately when she comes on, but she's hard to imitate, and that's kind of why she has endured for so long. We have yeah. such yeah. little sample size of what she was able to do, and yet we still are talking about her literally on this podcast right now. Yeah. yeah. So aside, for, so I think I still think the big hitters for me on this album are me and Bobby McGee and Mercedes Benz. Just like you can't go wrong with those two. You can't. But this time listening through, a woman left lonely. Trust me, and uh, Cry Baby were the three, like oh. my three from this album this time. And I highly recommend the Pearl. So there's like the Pearl that originally came out, which is the one that we're talking about, and then yeah. there was a newly issued version that came out with live recordings on that. And those live recordings are a must to listen to. Like, um, so my favorites are all on Pearl are me and Bobby McGee and Woman Left Lonely. But the live recordings of Crybaby is insane. She goes on this full kind of like rift of talking that is completely unplanned. And you can tell. And she just goes and it's insanely perfect and timed. And she does a cover of Little Girl, of Nina Simone's Little Girl Blue. Okay. She lets you know it's a cover of Nina Simone. She's like... This is a song I always want to do by Nina Simone. And now I'm going to do it. Like that, like, and it's, it will rip your heart out. How, like, it's so good. So highly recommend looking up those songs as well. Yeah. With that go along with this album. Noah, what were your favorites off this go through? Uh, Cry Baby was usually my go-to, honestly, off this one. Um, I think that. Probably my favorite Janice song overall is Maybe. It's not on this album, but uh, yeah, uh-huh. I think that that song slaps all the way to the fucking moon. But I think <laughs> off this album specifically, um, it's hard not to like, you know, Cry Baby and Me and Bobby McGee. Just the way that the song progresses of Me and Bobby McGee, where it starts out very small and it gets just bigger and bigger and bigger. I think that's something I've noticed that I like a lot because even when we were talking about uh, the Blue Album by Weezer a couple weeks ago, I think that's something I like within that album as well is that each song starts out pretty small and it just grows to a place that you don't expect. And I think that's what's so awesome about Me and Bobby McGee. But uh, I'll just say it. I full recommend uh, Pearl by Janis Joplin. It's a great album. It's a banger. And if you're not listening to it, get on that. So that's what I got on. <laughs> uh, I give it a full recommend. Brian, how do you feel about this? I mean, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, we can tell. Yeah, you can tell. I really, really despise this album. No, it's a beautiful masterpiece that people forget about. So yeah, definitely check it out. All right. So now, uh, it's, now we are moving on to the movie this week. Yes. 
The Rose, 1979's The Rose. Directed by Mark The Rose. The unofficial. The unofficial Janis Joplin biopic. That's literally what this is. Yeah, and it's like, um, it's crazy for to listen to Janis Joplin again after seeing this movie. Because, I don't know, for me it was like, I felt like maybe I understood like not just her life, but just like her kind of emotional state and being. Yeah. And like just the kind of shape of what she went through like a little better. But, like, seeing this movie and then listening to the album again and really, like, I don't know. Seeing this movie and then hearing the album really made me appreciate Janis Joplin a lot more. Right, because, well, what's interesting with The Rose is that you're getting a taste of not Janis Joplin's um, last, like, few months on the road before she dies. Spoiler, Spoiler, sorry. (laughs) And then... Sorry. um, Sorry. And then Pearl is her last few months. So there's that deep connection of kind of, like these performers who did nothing but give and give. Yeah. I think that's the tagline of the Rose. She gave and gave. That's, that is. And the trailer, they do, you don't hear one speaking line. It's just a clip. It's of like, of the movie. And then at the very end, it's a Rose falling and it's a voiceover of some dude being like, she gave and gave. Like, Oh boy. Yeah. (laughs) Man, trailers used to be so good. So good. And kind of creative. And now they're just like, flashes to white and there's Vin Diesel pops up and <laughs> yeah, she gave and gave until she had nothing left to give is what it is what to I'm give. reading right yep. I would love to go back in time and see that in the screen because in 1979 or whatever whenever whenever this you know the trailer for this first came out you're just sitting there and you're either like a little kid and you're like oh, okay okay who cares but then you know you can be sitting there and you're also just like oh my god yes she did give and she did give and then there was nothing left and you're like so excited about yeah, it. Yeah, and so so, where, so this is my question. Where mm-hmm. was Bette Midler in her career when this movie was coming out? So Bette Midler in her career was kind of like at a very... She was at a high point in her career. So she... Bette Midler's... Bette Midler's career is very fascinating. So she like came to New York when she was about 18 after she was an extra in this movie called Hawaii with Julie Andrews. Okay. I think she like used that money to go to New York. Um, she was in the chorus of a few shows. She was in the chorus of Fiddler on the Roof and worked her way up to being um, who, Seidel. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so she played a major role in uh, Fiddler. And during this time period, her sister, one of her sisters came. All of the sisters are named after old movie stars. Bet is She's named after Betty Davis. Okay. There's a sister named Susan, named after Susan Hayward. Interesting. Okay. And then Judy, named after Garland. Um, and her sister, I think it was Judy. Yeah, Judy, because I remember this is tragic, named after tragedy. Um, oh, no. She was got hit by a car when she was visiting Bet. Yeah, died. I read that. That is and so sad. It's horrible. And it completely, like, she, like, retreated. She left the show. And during this time period, she kind of started revamping what she really wanted to do with herself. Oh, boy. And she started to go and sing in the bathhouses of New York. And oh, these okay. bathhouses were uh, predominantly gay right. bathhouses. And there, the footage is on YouTube, I'm pretty sure, of her singing in these bathhouses. Okay. And she's insane. It's insane. It's her just literally in a corner with all these men in towels surrounding her going ape shit like it's amazing and that's how she got known she got her name out through that and she ended up getting a record deal she made an album the divine miss m and she everything just took off from there by the time she made the rose she had already won a grammy an emmy and an honorary tony 
so she, so and she, she was, was a, she, and she was like our our age. Like no, she was like twenty nine. She was in her like late twenties, early thirties. She yeah, like she the, almost e got. <laughs> yeah, she almost e got within like the first seven years of her like success. Like she she blew up. So this movie and this movie was her debut. She had never made a movie before. So this was her first anything God. on screen. No, do you have any? Um, I'm just looking up the Oscars this year so I can see who she lost Best Actress to. Sally Field and uh, Norma oh, Ray. Was that her? Oh, that was her. We can get into that. Yeah. Uh, Noah, do you have any history with the Rose? <laughs> um, my own. So I have history with the director of the Rose because yeah. okay. uh, I think I talked about this on. It was the Sunny episode where there was a there was a spring break my sophomore year of college where uh, I basically did what we're all in the United States doing now and I like unintentionally self-quarantined myself for all of spring break in my apartment. <laughs> and I literally watched like, I want to say it was something crazy. It was like 21 movies in 10 days or something like that. But Hell I did yeah. break yeah. the quarantine of being in the apartment to go to LA with friend of the podcast, Dustin Titcomb. And we saw a Western double feature at the new Beverly in LA and it was a two. It was two super unknown westerns. One was called like the Pepper Cattle Ranch or whatever. We did not stick around for that one because we were. I've already watched one western. We were like, "Fuck! All right, no more westerns for a couple of years." Um, but uh, the first western was uh, the Cowboys, which is directed by Mark Rydell, who directed oh, nice. the Rose. Oh, okay. And uh, so I knew that name because of the Cowboys, and then I had known Bette Midler just because. She's iconic, you know, she's a superstar, you know, yeah. if you don't know her yeah. name, you've been, you know, not doing your homework. She is, you know, just superstar. And I, I really only knew her as a woman who basically, when I think of divas, I think of Barbra Streisand and I think of Bette Midler. Like, mm-hmm. that's really what comes uh-huh. to mind yeah. is when I think of, like, ultimate divas, just, like, that's, like, who I picture. So I don't really have a lot to say about, like, my experience with The Rose other than Mark Rydell directed The Cowboys, which is a super underrated Western that I don't want to talk about on this podcast because <laughs> it's just kind of fucking boring. Uh, but it's, like, well done. It's good. It's, like, old John Wayne, like, like post-True uh, Grit, like, end of John Wayne's life. Um, but, yeah, mm. and then I knew that The Rose was in the Criterion Collection as well, which I was very surprised about yes. pre-watching yeah. The movie. I was like, why the fuck is this movie in the Criterion Collection? After having watched it, I understand, like, why it would be included within there. It's Bette Midler's first movie. It's basically an unofficial Janis Joplin biopic. There's some very, you know, artfully done things in the film. So that kind of cleared it up for me. But, yeah, that's my real, you know, only experience with The Rose, Mark Rydell, Bette Midler. Like, I don't have, you know, she's, I'm not a stan of her Bette Midler, but, you know, there, here we are. So <laughs> what about you, Mace? Uh, I think so. I think similar to you, my thing with the Rose is just like it popped up in the Criterion Collection, and I was like, I know Bette Midler, I know Mark Rydell because we mentioned this in the Sunny Dion podcast. He plays Marty Augustine in The Long Goodbye, the guy that smashes a coke yes. bottle across his girlfriend's face mm. to uh, intimidate Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye. Uh, but I watched this movie for whatever reason in August of 2017. I don't know why. I might have Hell like yeah. had it downloaded or was on Filmstruck, and I was like, I gotta just sit down and watch the Rose. Uh, so I'd seen it before watching it this time, and I think you're you're right that the thing that sp- popped out to me this time was just how artfully made this movie was. Yeah, um, it was shot by Vilmos Zsigmond. I don't know if I got that right, but he's some like Czech guy, and he shot like um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and a bunch. Uh, he died in 2016. I was looking at his IMDb, and he had, 
shot a couple episodes of the Mindy Project before he died. Ah. So good for uh, him getting those... his bag right before he kicks the bucket. Yeah, <laughs> but I was thinking about so this is another kind of interesting thing that this um, Venn diagram for our two podcasts because when I was on mm-hmm. your podcast, we watched the. 54 star is born because i'd never seen that one i'd mm-hmm. only seen the gaga star is born right and i really feel like i couldn't find anything in my initial research if bradley cooper like kind of went after a lot of the con like was inspired by this movie but i think there's a lot more of a star is born 2018 coming from the rose than there is from any there, i can see that you know yeah i can see that and that's still not a movie you like very much <laughs> no i hate the 2018 a star is born with a burning passion but yeah but i think that that's what strikes is so uh What's cool about this movie, I think, is it's not just, like, a biopic. You get, like, some really incredible concert footage in it as well. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it fits in with, like, the, both the Streisand and the Gaga version. Uh, excuse me. The Bradley Cooper version <laughs> of A Star is Born. Because, <laughs> because um, I will not go into why I think that. Um, you have but, an entire other podcast. Where you know, there's another. That. Yeah. I've been down that road already. But, um, yeah, because there's so much live concert footage in that one, and it fits into that lot. And it's a live concert. It's a concert movie to an extent. Yeah. Definitely. Well, that's uh, something I wanted to bring up was the – I had actually – I've recently watched uh, The Last Waltz, uh, which is the band concert film. Oh, great. And Zygmunt is an additional – director of photography on The Last Waltz, which came out a year before The Rose. And especially during those, not as much at the end, just because of some of the like plot and character stuff that's happened, but really at the beginning when we're first learning about uh, Bette Midler, like it is so obvious that he took what he learned on the last waltz and said okay we're gonna do it on the rose mm-hmm. like there's some of the shots yeah, that makes a lot are of sense. literally spitting images of stuff you see <laughs> in the last waltz which this might be a little bit of a hot take not a super on topic thing to say but and this is as of this recording this is as of march oh. 15th 2020 <laughs> i okay. like i like the last waltz more than stop making sense sorry that's a ve- Sorry. that is a very that is a hot take. I okay. will let you have that opinion, and we can come back to it later. We will put a pop. I don't think you're wrong to think those are two great concert movies. I just right. uh, one is we can talk about the last waltz and the last waltz podcast. But like, <laughs> you, we're gonna talk the motherfucking rose. Um, yeah. So just how did this movie come into your life? Was it just like the kind of perfect maelstrom of all things you're interested in? Basically. So during the time, so I really got into, like, I've always loved old movies. Like, yeah. Always. But I got really heavy, a lot deeper into old movies um, in high school. And during that time, too, was like my big Janis Joplin phase. And, you know, during that time, you know, I was a little naive, you know, a little Jewish school kid who believed that anything that was Oscar nominated or won an Oscar meant it was great. You know? Yeah, I had that same opinion in high yeah. school, too. Right. Yeah. So, and I also love Bette Midler. I grew up, my backstory with her is I definitely grew up with her. I have a mother who, like, grew up in that time period. Yeah. I knew, like, I had seen Beaches and a few other things that she had done before uh, The Rose. So I was familiar with Bette Midler and a fan Um, and so I was kind of like trying to find other movies of hers and I saw, oh, she had been Oscar nominated for this movie called The Rose. And when I read the, before I even knew it was based on Janis Joplin, I read the synopsis and I was like, this sounds a little bit like Queen Janis. (laughs) So why don't I watch it? And I, uh, ordered the DVD on Amazon. Um, that's Amazon in French. Um, 
and yeah, popped it in and fell like very in love with that movie. I think I it was one of those movies I watched on a loop for a long time, which is a good one because it's a concert movie, yeah. basically. So it's a good movie to just kind of also have in the background. But it's like what I love about this movie. I think from what I remember before, I what I remember from my first viewing was just like the the concert footage and her like performance. Yes. By the way, her performance is exceptional. But Sally Field and Norma Ray was better. You know, you got all the Norma Ray heads out here. (laughs) Look, look, look. I love my Sally. I love Norma Ray. But like, as I'm going to say to you, which I probably have said to you before, to each their own. You're wrong, but like to (laughs) each their own. Right, exactly. Uh, But yeah, I think that this is also like, I love movies from this particular part of like the seventies and the kind of the end of the new the new Hollywood. I was looking at IMDb and um, it's funny because Michael Cimino has an uncredited story by credit on here, and he is the guy that is credited with destroying the new Hollywood movement by making the movie Heaven's Gate <laughs> and bankrupting a studio. <laughs> uh, but it's crazy that he was just like also has a. That was another thing I think is crazy about this movie is the amount of people that worked on it. Yeah, and, like names that I recognize just in the credit. You have. My four favorite words and Harry Dean Stanton. Oh my god! Yeah, baby, <laughs> fuck yeah. yeah! Thank you, Chef. Yeah, you have Haskell Wexler as an additional camera, mm-hmm. the guy that made the movie Medium Cool Noah. Yeah, we um, love Medium Cool on this pod. We love Medium Cool. We love Medium Cool, and the choreography <laughs> was by Tony Basil, who was the Hey Hey Mickey or something. You know, yeah, Hey Mickey or something, yep. and did the choreography. For, dated David Byrne for a little bit, and did the choreography for the Once in a Lifetime music video. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good to know. So, like, not just Batman. Like, it's so crazy to think that, like, David Byrne dated somebody at some point. Like, in, him, in my mind, it's like, he, like, kind of just walks around life not thinking about that at all. He's like, how can I put on the biggest jacket? <laughs> yeah. But he's not thinking about who am I going to have well, sex with tonight. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you, but yes, back, yes. 1979. Yeah. Also, just an amazing year for movies in general. Alien, Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Stalker, which we've talked about on the podcast. The first Mad Max, all that jazz. Kramer versus Kramer, being there, Escape from Alcatraz. An ama- the Rose, like an amazing those movie, or amazing uh, year for movies. We just love that. We love to see it. We do love to see it, and I think that's what's... I think When I think about like a 70s movie, it is kind of like... They, they had the freedom to do anything, and some people made, like, a deer hunter in Apocalypse Now and made... Right. And that's the stories that you, like, hear about in our hype. But then some people, like Mark Rydell, was like, I want to make... Spend all this money to just, like, put on a bunch of concerts and shoot this tragedy... Yeah. ...about Janis Joplin in between the concert footage. And I will say, too, thinking about it, too, they definitely implemented certain aspects of Bette Midler's own rise like i as far as i know janice joplin didn't really like come up with any drag queens and like wasn't that's what i was gonna say and there was the, a bathhouse there's scene, a bathhouse yeah. scene that she's very comfortable with just walking into yeah. did you notice it's like <laughs> yeah. she'd been doing it yeah um but also like it fits in with like i like mason knows this i recently have gone through a very big linda ronstadt phase yeah and looking kind there of back at, and I recently watched this documentary that came out about Linda called The Sound of My Voice that just came out. It's so good. Highly recommend it. Um, and just seeing the footage and also they talk about how she did more covers than anything, but like made it her own. I kind of think she might have been a bit of an inspiration too for The Rose in a sense. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's like there's a lot of covers in this. There's a It's great, all covers. Yeah, there's a great version of When a Man Loves a Woman. So good. That, yeah. Midnight in Memphis. Um, Fire Down Below. Fire Down Below. <laughs> <laughs> Stay With Me, which is... Oh. 
uh, one of the best. I the faces, yeah, yeah, so good. It's so good. It's one of I I rank that with her the stay with me performance to be in those same the same stratosphere as like Streisand's Don't Rain on My Parade or yeah, like Judy yeah. Garland's The Man That Got Away. Like it's so powerful and rich and it's acted just as well as it's sung. That's the thing. She uh like she is doing some incredible acting in this. Just like really doing like in the beginning I was like kind of I admit I was a little like okay bet what are you doing and then you realize that she <laughs> just has complete control of who this woman is. Yeah, cuz the first well I mean the first scene is her um it's not giving anything away. The first scene is her like getting off of a plane and she's clearly fucked up and she's like kind of like stumbling down the stairs. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I could just go and watch ab- like absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Like <laughs> anytime. And then it's like, the movie goes on. I'm like, oh, wow. It, this is like real. This is acting. The moment that clicked for me was when she's in the studio with Reg, Reg, Alan, the Alan Bates character. Yeah. Who. Oh, so hot. He's a hunk. He's a, he's a little hunky, even if he is like a, a huge uh, He's asshole. such a dick in this movie, but such a beefy daddy. I, uh, arrest in peace. <laughs> uh, big time. <laughs> uh, but in that first scene, like they're having that fight and then he calls the press in and she turns it on like that. Immediately, yeah. And I was like, oh, bet. here we go. We're ready to do this. For me, it all clicked when she, the first kind of full concert moment, which kind of comes after this, when she's backstage and she's really trying to dredge up like the like... Yeah, don't say motherfucker. Yeah, motherfucker don't say motherfucker. Yeah. And then she just goes out and she's like, yeah, I'm not going to say it. One, two, three. How you doing tonight, motherfucker? <laughs> and then she does the whole concert monologue of like a man dealing with a man and then singing when a man was a woman. For yeah. me, that's when it clicked because it was yeah. like the full acting and the singing coming together. No, how do you feel about that in the Liz performance? And it's interesting. Oh. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting that we watching this in 2020, literally 40 years later than when it came out originally, we have so much context for who Bette Midler is now and what her whole career has been. Whereas at the time, nobody knew what she was capable of in a lot of ways. And I know, you know, this has been poo-pooed already. It is the Gaga thing in A Star is Born. Who knew that Gaga (laughs) could do that, you know? Who knew that she was capable of really giving a performance on screen of that caliber. And I'm going to listen. I, I know we've been talking a lot about not, a lot of nice. I, sorry. That's the one thing I will. There are two things I will give the Bradley Cooper version of stars born. Gaga is great. And it yes. is great concert moments. I will give it to that. Sure. <laughs> and he does a good Chris Christopherson. The, um, yes. <laughs> I think, um, I'll just say it. I'm not as big of a fan of the Rose as maybe you guys are, mm. because for me, it feels like two very disjointed, parts of a movie i love the concert stuff Mm -hmm. anytime that she's on stage and she's singing and we're in that world i'm super on board not really on board with most of what happens off stage for me it kind of feels like a watered down version of you guys familiar with the film wanda with barbara loden yeah 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 yeah. i think i think but that's what i think is continue on your thought with that chef i'll come back to it later well i was just gonna i was just gonna say that i think that For me, I, and again, we have so much context now for what movies were doing or were doing 40 years, you know, beyond this, who knows what in 1979 would have, would have sat down and thought, but knowing what I know now as a person in 2020, I feel like if I want to watch 
that story of the off the screen stuff. There's other movies that I want to go to sure, instead. I can understand that. But it's hard. It's hard to replace this. Just the amazing presence and energy that you are getting from the concert stuff. There were points literally where I literally did this last night. At a certain point, probably about halfway through the movie, I said, I just want to watch the concert parts. So I would fast forward <laughs> to any time that she was on stage, and I would just watch the concert part, and then I would just go to the next one, and <laughs> I would go back, and I would watch the everything else in between, because that's really what I wanted to see. And I think that people watching it for the first time in 1979, they wanted to see it all, because it's like, who is this woman? Right, is she, right. you know, a really capable actress? Whereas now, what I really want to see as a dude in 2020 is these awesome concerts concert moments and like we said you had Vilma Sigmund who is an additional uh, director of photography on The Last Waltz you have amazing concert photography it, that's to me the reason to watch the movie if I want to see a story about uh, a woman like trying to like find her like place and really like hold on I'm gonna watch Wanda by Barbara Loden instead not I, to say that you I, can't have I, both I but my I, my want is Barbara Loden I get that I mean I was just gonna say that like I think the thing with Wanda is the thing that that is so that I love about the row so much is that it's about the specific rock star narrative that sometimes I think gets gets a little um romanticized at times about mm-hmm. like how this like the you know you live fast you die young and then it's like you it's this sort of weird deification of it but it's really like no these are like this was a miserable person who had this one artlet and they were like completely like this other version they were they could li- they when they were living for other people like that to that degree and then in their like personal life there's just like this hole that they couldn't replace um and the stuff that really breaks my heart in this movie is like her entire thing with Houston Right. Uh, sweet, sweet Freddie Forrest. Right. Just like the one good guy. And just like how uh, he's, he's, and he says it to her. It's like, it's not that he's, it's the life that is, the life of the rock star that is the dangerous thing. That's the grenade, the thing that's going to go off, you know. Right. Um, well, the the whole point of like the narratives for that is just, it, it's saying without saying like, it's so much harder for a woman in this time period right. of rock and roll to maintain, especially a relationship. Because with yeah. men, they don't really, you know, they make it look like it's easier. Yeah, because it's like he, you know, because you know, Frederick Forrest gets like really insecure when he sees um, Rose uh, with, what was that that woman's name? Sarah? Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets really insecure when he sees them together. And they're just being really intimate together. But you can kind of get the hint of there's like a history between them like a little like deeper yeah history between them and then when they're at well there can't it's not fully almost a janice joplin movie there's not a little bisexuality listen bisexual queen janice joplin bisexual dom queen janice joplin (laughs) i'm convinced you're convinced she was a dom she was for sure a top (laughs) for sure um wow But then the second time he gets really insecure is when they're at that hometown bar and she's like trying to make it a party and the guys that she knew from high school. Yeah, who were not nice to her, but like are kind of yeah, like... Yeah, and are also like gross men. Yeah. Well, because she tells a story in the movie where she says, she tells Houston Dyer. Houston um, Dyer. Houston Dyer by Sweet Sweet Frederick Forrest yeah. that um, she like fuck the whole football team in high school. Yeah. And then she goes back to this bar, hometown bar where one of these football players is, who was like the biggest of the douches apparently. And he's kind of like yelling things like, Oh, remember that night? Mm-hmm. Like all this kind of stuff. And he starts realizing she wasn't fucking around with that story. Yeah. 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 
I, this is stuff that pops for me in this movie that I think it makes it like, of course, and the concert footage, which is also incredible, mm. just because I love old concert footage when everybody could be out and dirty with each other and not get yeah. the damn it, coronavirus. Look. <laughs> you uh, get syphilis just because someone coughs too close to you, like that kind memories of Memories <laughs> like the corners of my... No, I... <laughs> for real. I... <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. What were you going to say? I don't remember. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, do you have any more thoughts on The Rose? Like, I will say, yeah. if you have, if you want to see an amazing rendition of The Rose, there's an early episode of Family Guy oh where they God. all sing The Rose in the car. Oh, the, uh, Does anybody oh, know what I'm talking what about? Saying. What were you going to say? Okay, this was what I was going to say. I was going to say, it's a movie, it's one of those movies that it's more like, go see it for a performance alone, if not sure. the movie. Like, I, I don't totally. disagree with you. It's not a perfect movie. It's very rough around the edges. Um, but it's a it's a movie that it, the performance, it carries the movie so it's, Yes, yeah. yes. In the same way that, like, Streisand carried Funny Girl. Like, mm-hmm. that movie would honestly be shit if it wasn't for her. But I think that's what's also spectacular about this, is this is kind of an ugly performance. It's not like the yeah. Streisand where it's like, I'm just oh, going to yeah. be Oh, yeah, she's trying to be loving. Yeah, and it's yeah. in this one she has, like, no... I was really surprised and and uh, excited by just, like, how much Bette was willing to give to this character. She was fully willing to not be likable. Like, self-conscious yeah. or likable or, like, kind of a mess. And I'm like, oh. I just feel like you're doing it. You're doing it for me, Bat. It is sublime. I. If, if it's I, sublime. It, it's sublime. Does dare it brand I say. Does it Santeria? Does it? Does it <laughs> I got crystal balls, balls. bitch. Uh, um. If, 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 if say I, I got something that. for that punk ass, I don't know the fucking. My art teacher in eighth grade used to play that all the time. She always played Sublime. <laughs> oh my god! Do you think the, she's still listening to Sublime? Oh, for sure. I I had lunch with her recently when I was back in Houston. She for sure still listens to Sublime. Houston hey, Ruthie. Dyer. Houston, Houston Dyer from Waxahachie, Texas. That was always the funniest part to me was that he's from Waxahachie, Texas, which Frederick Forrest is actually from. Yeah. Waxahachie is a great... Whoa, yeah, the, there you go. Waxahachie is a great uh, country artist that I like, like kind of newer kind of country. Oh, okay. Waxahachie. I've never heard Waxahachie. Waxahachie. She has a great song called Fire that I have just been obsessed with. Anyways. Okay, listen. Uh, what else do you want to talk about with this movie, guys? <laughs> I mean, it's it's just it's a phenomenal debut. It is. It's just a phenomenal so debut. So do you? Yeah. Do you recommend this movie? Yeah. Sorry. I yeah. I completely recommend this movie. It's a real. It, it's a beautiful performance. It has incredible live concert footage. Um, and it's once again, it's the as of now and probably for a very long time until someone will be like. Let's get someone to play Janis Joplin and use and teach them to be teach them how to lip sync to those yeah, songs properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep saying Caitlyn Dever would be a great Janis Joplin. Oh, I love her. She would. Yeah, just have her lip sync over something. Just, like- I was gonna ask who would you want to see as Janis, and bet Caitlyn Dever is your pick. Caitlyn Dever is my pick right now. I think she is. One would look like her, and that's not always that important with these biopics to like look exactly like. But I think. But I remember when she was singing. Um, what was the song? Um, you oh, ought to uh, know. And, and Booksmart. Yeah. There's like a profile shot of her, and it really does look like Janis Joplin's profile. Mm. So she would look like her. I think she would. She's in the right age group to play her because Janis yeah. was 27 when she passed. Like she's, I think needs to age a little bit to she's play like her. A year, like probably between. No, it's 22 or 23. He's in between him and us, and we're 20. She's like 24, 25. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She needs like probably a few more years to play right. her, but I think she'd be perfect. Just lip sync her and get the family as involved as possible. Because yeah, that's definitely. also always the thing is that the family does not want her portrayed in a certain way, which 
After saying Judy, I understand. <laughs> oh, love, love, to, love to hear the Judy slander on the pod. Um, Mason, do you recommend this? You know what I do? Because I think I am more, I feel like I'm more enthusiastic on the whole of this movie than I than either of you guys are. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, you know, Brian, you really like the concert footage and just the, and the performance. No, yeah. you're just on the concert footage. I love just like the whole thing of this. I think it's just like really incredibly well done and i think of course bet is incredible in the middle is in the central performance and i just think that it's also like a really empathetic and uh portrayal of a of just like this soul who's just like lost like where you where she ends with this movie it's so sad it's so heartbreaking just her screaming why does everybody leave or whatever she says yeah why is everyone leaving why is everybody leaving and there's that shot that i love at the very end of the movie where she's in the phone booth at her high school and the football players yeah. run off, uh-huh. and the lights go down, and then it's just her with the phone booth, and there's just a crane into her doing some stuff in the phone booth. And yeah, and then you just see kind of like her feet, and then you see a needle fall, yeah. and it just is so... And that final performance in the movie, it's like the character knows what's going to happen to her, so she's really going to give her yeah, like it's, uh, the performance of her career. And it's so, it's so good. I think everything in the middle is really good too. I think for this, it spans like maybe like a week or a couple days or something. Like it really mm-hmm. makes you feel like just how crushing this lifestyle the, is. The like story she, is she's going back to, she's giving a concert in her hometown, which is like a small town in Florida that she never fit in was always ridiculed and criticized very much like Janis Joplin who came from a very small conservative Texas town. Yeah. Also her mom is played by Doris Roberts in this movie which is incredible. Yes. I didn't know that because wait Yeah she we love is? that. We love yeah. Doris Roberts. Because the parents are only like You see like she turns around for a second at the end when they're coming out of the garage and I'm like is that Doris Roberts? And I waited for the credits and it was Doris Roberts as Rose's mother. I didn't know that. And I've watched that movie a billion times so Wow. Yeah. That movie has my favorite line of all time. Uh, one of my favorite lines in a movie. What is it? If your dick is as small as your brain, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> I have you. I cannot tell you how many. Lines. Yeah, that's a great line. I have used that line when I've been heckled in stand up. I've used that line when someone's called me fat on a date. I, it Come go, it on. works. It works. Yeah. It cuts you down. You do not expect someone to say that to you. It's so good. Highly recommend using that line. Noah, how do you feel about the movie The Rose at the end of the day? Uh, okay so (laughs) at the end of the day at the end of the day i'm not gonna watch this movie again (laughs) that's the truth okay but but i think i'm gonna give it a conditional recommend and here's why there are very few movies that have amazing concert moments in them. right Mm -hmm. those could be concert films themselves those could be movies with performances in them you know you have a movie like Hedwig and the Angry Inch where the performances very much feel like fluid within the film whereas in the rose they feel very like now we're doing the concert thing and then now we're gonna do the rest of the plot and the movie thing Mm -hmm. so if you want to see some good concert stuff I think that this movie will really scratch your itch so I'll give it a very light conditional recommendation <laughs> nice. just to appease the peanut gallery on this one. But just be forewarned, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Condition, <laughs> small conditional recommend, and then I'm going to shut my trap on the whole thing. But, 
Brian, thank you so much Yay. for coming on the pod and talking about some Janis Joplin related stuff with us. Of course, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for letting me flap my gums. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram um, at Jew underscore Majesty, and then I am, nice. um, and then uh, the Vintage Millennial podcast. You can listen to it on. Uh, Spotify and iTunes podcasts and we are on Facebook and Instagram the Vintage Millennial podcast with a bunch of underscores in there nice alright we will definitely link to all that stuff in the show notes um, thank you again for coming on the show if you want to find me I am on Instagram at hotdogdebicki I am on the podcast the Barna podcast about the shield as well as this one I'm also on Letterboxd, and I am also uh, in my bedroom at my parents' house playing Jack and Daxter the Precursor Legacy. <laughs> so that will be my recommendation this week is Jack and Daxter the Precursor Legacy. I don't know why I thought you were saying Love you play that. Jack and Diane. I'm like, you don't, okay. Okay, Mellencamp. <laughs> uh, people can find me online as well. You can find me at Moenarger on Twitter, at Moenarger on Letterboxd. Uh, you can follow at Noah.Marger on Instagram, and you can follow Noah, or excuse me, and you can follow YLG.World for some comedy needs if you want to watch some comedy during this quarantine time. My little recommendation is actually kind of a, can I tell a crazy little story real quick just to end, out, end things out? I would love to hear Please. love to hear a crazy little story. So either it is, I think it was a day or two ago as of this recording, so three days ago when this podcast comes out, uh, I was getting like a shit ton of packages at the door, and I knew that one of them was going to be for my dad, one of them was going to be for my mom, but there was a third package there that I absolutely did not know was going to be there, and it actually said Mark Marger on it, which is not my name, but I, it was huh. addressed to me at my address. And so I was like, I'm going to fucking open this. I don't give a shit. And so I took the package in and I opened it and it was a small, like rectangular book that did not have any, like, it was like an old binding. And so it, all it said was the Americans, Frank on the spine. And I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And so then I open up the book and there's a card in there and it's a like, but it's like a letter or I guess more of it's more of a letter than a card. And I open up the envelope and it is from my, my paternal grandparents, friends who live in Delaware. What? And they sent me this. They sent me a book called the Americans by Robert Frank with a forward by Jack Kerouac as a, graduation gift even though i graduated in may of 2019 which was very sweet of them and apparently this is a very rare book that's hard to find oh and my it is a photography God. book from like post world like post world war ii photographs oh, black wow. and white with a forward by jack kerouac and they sent me like a letter like explaining like this is a very rare book of like photographs like we really hope you enjoy it i've never met these people in my entire life holy very sweet of them but i just wanted to share that so if you can find yourself a copy of the americans by robert frank that's my recommendation for the week because there's some beautiful photographs in there so nice. maybe we'll post some on the social media. Maybe. I'll literally take a fucking idiot photo on my phone of the book <laughs> and be like, here it is, folks. But right. that's my recommendation Thanks. for the for the week. 
Yeah, Go look it you up. Got it. Thank you, Brian, very much. Thank you for and, having me. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. It's the heart afraid of okay. breaking <laughs> that never learns to dance. It's the dream afraid of waking that never takes never takes a chance, chance on listening to this podcast. It's the one that won't be taken. Who cannot seem to give And the soul the afraid of dying That never learns to Without live Without listening to this podcast